podcast listeners out there. We are back with another installment of Open Swim. All right. Featuring Hallie Bram Kogelshots. Eric Kogelshots. Brian Andrew Jasinski. And Jennifer Cho Salaf. So we are broadcasting live from the new headquarters of Shark Minnow. Woo! Yeah. Woo! It's been uh, <laughs> quite a journey. Anybody out there who's actually not only put together their own business, but also gone through the um, exciting and sometimes maddening process of opening an office will tell you that it's never quite as easy or as fast or as cost effective as you think it's no. going to be. Um, but here we are on the other side of it. And actually, if you come and visit us on our blog, we will have some photos of the new office up pretty soon. So we look forward to sharing those with you. In the meantime, we also want to give a big congratulations to Jen. Um, on her one-year anniversary here Congrats. at Chuck and Minnow. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, we're so happy she's a part of the team, and so are our clients. She's done so much exciting, great content-related work in the last year. And so sure. we thank her and celebrate Love her today. And uh, we'll do a uh, virtual toast here in her honor. Wait, do we just leave Jen hanging there? She said, I love you, and we didn't say I love you back. Well, you can say it now. It's not too late. Love you, Jen. <laughs> all right well before I'm things get too welcome forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so Inside for everyone Ryan. who wasn't here okay so we all go into the room to start podcasting <laughs> and um we had gotten jen a little um a little something something for uh being here for a year and uh when she came to say thank you to all of us you know giving a round of hugs she goes over to eric and eric says Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just completely gone blank on the fact that she's been here for a year. And he follows that up with. Welcome forever. <laughs> <laughs> so it started off as sincere slash completely aloof and then went to creepy really quickly. <laughs> I thought it was pretty. I thought I covered it up. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll, not. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. You made We're it. You made it memorable, Eric. That's right. I will never forget my first year anniversary. That was my goal forever. Alas, well, since the last time we were all convened, um, some news of the advertising world. We have seen something that's kind of interesting. It, it seems like a minutia level detail, but it's happening more and more. So we thought that we should maybe have a little conversation around it. And what it is is a new way of handling call to action. And that's, you know, always been a standard part of any marketing campaign, whether it's driving people to pick up the phone and call, take some kind of action like signing a petition, or, you know, in more recent times, visit us on our, on our website or our social media channels. Things are starting to shift um, into what we have been referring to as choose your own adventure call to action advertising here, runs Shark and Minnow HQ. So to talk a little bit more about what this is and walk us through some examples of how this is working, I'm going to turn it over to Eric so that he can talk us through what we're seeing and how it's functioning and why it matters. So Axe just came out with a spot called, Is It Okay for Guys? Is it okay to be skinny? Pass the ball, bro. Is it okay that? to not like sports? <laughs> Is it okay to be a virgin? To experiment with other guys? Is it okay for guys to wear pink? Is it okay for guys to, to be nervous? To have long hair? To like cuts? To take a selfie? To shave you? To be depressed? To be 
scared? Wait, is it okay for me to be the little spoon? Come on, man. Go online to search and see for yourself. And then the guides can actually go in there and answer the questions. So there's a survey on the website and it can answer those questions. But actually the purpose of the spot is not to drive people to the website. It's actually to go to first to Google, which here at Shark Minnow we think is really interesting because in our last episode we talked about McDonald's and Burger King and how both of those spots drove the viewers to Google to ask some type of question and to get that answer. In the case of Axe, you're asked to go to Google and say, is it okay for guys to fill in the blank? Axe would be one of the top results. You go there and you can fill out one of these surveys. So we thought this approach was really interesting because historically brands tried to, one, have you call them, visit their website, request a quote, visit their store, whatever it might be. And here is another example that's taking people straight to Google. What I think is really interesting about it is that it shows that some of these major brands are giving, are comfortable giving up control. And I think that this has been something that brands have struggled with, especially since the emergence of social media. Like, oh, well, are we going to allow comments on our Facebook wall? I mean, just, you know, kind of getting cold feet about how deeply to engage in a space where they don't have control to serve up a message that's, you know, artfully and carefully crafted. This is aligning their brand with how consumers are searching for information and putting it into their journey, you know, as they want to experience the brand. So I think it is showing a shift um, where they're tying brands into common user behavior rather than trying to force a behavior upon them, you know, i.e. go to our website. Um, so I, I think that's, that's interesting. It's, it's a softer sell. Um, it's truly brand advertising. But it's, you know, placing a product in a place where, you know, it's positioned as a, a friend rather than a solution. It's also interesting because Axe is not supporting this with paid search right now. So it's hmm. it's driven largely by organic. I'm sure they had paid search at some point. Um, but right now, if you search, you know, is it okay for guys to fill in the blank, you're going to get Axe.com. You go there and, and you have that full site experience. So in a way... They're trying to curate that experience because they've created the content on their website to help their organic search. And I'm sure they reinforce it with paid search, but they have that content there to pull onto Google's search engine results pages. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, obviously the spot is very compelling. I think that, you know, what they're doing with the call to action is a really important point And it's what drew us to the spot. Um, you know, initially in terms of the, you know, the past conversations that we've been having on this podcast around how brands are constructing spots, utilizing new technology, et cetera. But the spot itself is really well done. Similar to McDonald's and Burger King, it's interesting what Axe is doing because they're driving this traffic to Google. And I'm kind of curious of why they're doing that. Is it to increase traffic to their website so that these specific pages are more relevant, their quality score goes up if they're doing paid search? You know, is it all an attempt to boost that position on Google? I'm sure the answer is yes. But why are they spending all that money on a TV spot to do that? You know, there is obviously a strong cultural message here, but I also think it's really interesting that they're driving people to Google versus their site. So I think 
you know, ultimately the user's going to get to their website. So they're going to, it's kind of two birds with one stone. But I just, I think it's really interesting. Or does it even matter if they go to the website? I think that's what's happening here. You know, when we talk about it as choose your own adventure, they may never even get to the website. Although when they're in the store, all of a sudden they've seen the ad, they feel a certain way about the product, obviously. And, you know, maybe there's higher consideration um, for that product when they're in the moment ready to purchase. Well, first of all, it's interesting because when you think of the brand, when you think of Axe, it's very macho, very masculine. A lot of the commercials in the, in the past have been about... Almost brainless. Yes, and very, like, attracting girls and very meat market Yeah, lust-driven. Meat market-esque. Yes. Very, um, yeah, lust-driven and... Be a magnet. Exactly. So this one kind of turns that on its head, goes in a completely different direction and asks the viewer to explore um, questions. It's interesting Brian said magnet because I feel like that's the brand promise for Axe is that you use Axe, it's a magnet for chicks. Right. right? You're the chick magnet. And they've taken that literally like with commercials showing girls just kind of like the guy puts, like sprays his body and then all of a sudden it's it's not even a metaphor. Like literally girls will just go right, right next to him. I do think this is a direct response to two different generations. When Axe first came out, I don't know, would that be mid-90s? Yeah, probably mid Yeah. So I do think that market was very different. I know personally that's when I was in college, and that was very much the Abercrombie and Fitch kind of Adonis (laughs) um, ideal um, was what you saw in all the ads. School's out. Do you know where your daughter is? It was bad enough when tag was only in bathrooms and lockers, but new concealable body shots can be taken anywhere. And the ability to utilize a number of scents makes all of our daughters, sisters, and even charity car wash girls vulnerable. Tell your daughter, keep your eyes open and your nostrils shut. Because new tag body shots can be deployed wherever, whenever. Consider yourself warned. This new generation is very different, not only in their approach and their thinking, but just physically they're different Mm. and emotionally they're different. Um, You know, for lack of the better term, there's, you know, the hipsters and the millennials, and they're not so much about that uh, university gold standard of, you know, lettering and sports and having you know, a certain <laughs> size bicep. It's more about what they're, what they're creating and what they're putting out there and, and their amount of followers on social media. That's where self-worth is now coming from. And there's a lot more of an emotion to that, to what they're putting out there. And there's much more of a personal investment in what they're putting out there. And I do think that this Axe ad is taking this Google approach a step even further than... Burger King and uh, McDonald's did, whereas their invitations, um, Burger King asked Alexa, what is the Whopper? And you get the formula what the Whopper is. McDonald's was asking you to Google, where can you get the most delicious tasting Coca-Cola? And it was a black and white answer, McDonald's. Whereas this campaign that says, is it okay for guys to blank? So you are putting in your own personal question your own personal fear i think they're playing with emotions in a really provocative way actually Mm. i mean that not only are they 
you know, they say join the conversation with hashtag is it okay for guys. So not only are they inviting you to engage in this conversation and on their site and talking about their product, but the, the larger le- level that's happening here is they're asking you to talk about yourself. And it's almost like a mass therapy session. I'm also wondering, though, based on what you just said, Brian, you know, there's been a lot of talk since the election around political marketing campaigns and how there's a lot of fear that's been used in modern political marketing campaigns. And now you're talking about advertising that's playing off of some of your kind of deepest, most um, kind of personal, personal vulnerability, you know, like making fears. You know, is there something there that's changing about the psyche? I know when we first, as a team, saw this Axe ad, one of the things that Eric brought up is that that kind of hypersexualized male persona is just not something that we see as being compelling anymore. You know, Eric kind of talked about a stat um, with millennials and how, you know, versus previous generations, they're having less sex than any generation that's come before them. Um, so that's really interesting, you know, and, you know, the old adage of sex sells, maybe that's not it anymore, but is it fear sells? And is there, Eric, is there reasoning in that research that you had presented why that has gone down? Are they too busy taking selfies? What's happening, millennials? (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, not enough Donna Summer in their life. I do think there's a bit of insecurity here with this generation. The research that we talked about earlier, as far as them being more abstinent, they say it's because they're extremely motivated, they're ambitious, and they're scared that they'll get into something they can't get out of. Mm. So there's there's this fear... Lack of commitment. Lack of commitment, lack of control. And if you think about it, this ad really speaks to that because it is about people's vulnerability. Their vulnerability, absolutely. And confronting them with that to see their reaction. I do think what's interesting about this way of handling calls to action is that essentially what it's doing, particularly in the case of this Axe ad, is it's giving permission to ask questions that you're afraid to ask out loud. And I think that that's something that, just speaking from my own personal experience, you know, it's something that my generation and generations before us, there was no place to go to do this. You know, this is something that's made possible by Google. Um, so I do think that it's using, you know, what's, what's genius about, you know, kind of the modern digital era to combat insecurities, you know, and creating community around, you know, this is a safe space to ask these questions and then tying your brand to that sense of comfort and that sense of, like, you know, you are not alone. And we understand you. And we understand you. And I think, to Brian's point earlier, this is a new audience that they're trying to target and they're connecting with them on that emotional level. It's a very brave approach and for them, this may be an experiment because they find themselves in this brave new world. What they saw is that base of followers have aged out, and now they're presented with this new breed. Yeah, sense. so they, they have to figure out a way to stay they alive. They have to, you know, change, you know, their voice with the voice of who they see as their next generation of target markets. It's a very smart way to cast a wide net. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and I do think this conversation though about you know, new age masculinity and what is it and how do we raise boys in this day and age. And it's a fascinating 
you know, experiment. Like I said, it's a, for lack of a better term, it's a social experiment that they find themselves putting out there publicly to, it's almost, I almost wonder if like, you know, they're putting this out there for people to ask these questions, but it's almost giving them like, okay, what are you looking for? What, what should we, it's be almost like research. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's interesting about it, you know, in the context of this conversation is we don't know what the answer is. We don't right. know if it's going to be successful or not. So I think, you know, what we can say at least at this point in time is that we'll continue to follow these topics here on the podcast and moving forward, you know, we'll kind of pop in with updates on how we uh, think these campaigns are performing. Eric, what would you like to ask Axe? Is it okay? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, this is a safe space. Is it okay to listen to Madonna all the time? Yes. Okay. <laughs> topic of content and tackling issues that are sometimes uncomfortable, we also saw some really um, thought-provoking editorial from O Magazine. So there's a very um, thought-provoking photo essay in the May 2017 issue of O Magazine, and it features, it's actually... The backstory is they were in editorial meetings, Oprah with her staff, and um, they wanted to do a piece that explored race relations and stereotypical images that might be in the media or film or um, television and kind of turning that on its head. They call it the reversed gaze. I remember that from my um, ethnic studies classes at Berkeley. But... Um, so the feature is called Let's Talk About Race, and it's a series of photos by the photographer Chris Buck. And um, it just it shows um, everyday instances in life that you might find yourself in, but it kind of turns it on its head with um, just the, the people that are depicted in the photos. So for instance, there's one uh, in a nail salon, and it's, you know, stereotypically, it's usually... In nail salons in the United States, it's Asian women that are doing the nails or running the nail salon. And so in this particular picture, it's Asian women who are sitting in the spa chair getting their pedicures done, seemingly laughing without a care in the world, um, reading their magazines, talking amongst each other. And um, there are Caucasian women that are doing their nails, giving them foot massages, um, whatnot. Uh, and then another photo that's quite striking is a little girl in a toy store, and she finds herself amongst uh, rows and rows of dolls, and all of the dolls are African-American dolls, and this little girl is Caucasian. Um, so anyway, th these are some of the images. They're really thought-provoking. They're kind of jarring, actually, when you first see them. Um, and I think, Hallie, it, it touches upon what we were talking about before with the AXAD, just asking these questions exploring uncomfortable themes or ideas or maybe uncomfortable situations that maybe we remember ourselves in. Um, but I, I think the important thing about this particular spread, I really feel like um, 
the whole reason why they did it, it w- was to spark conversation. And it definitely, and you know, did that for our team. I think when definitely. we first looked at it, it was almost like we had to take a moment just to absorb what we were all seeing and feeling about this. It was, it was, you know, something that, you know, I'll speak for myself. I couldn't talk about right away and not because it was something that I was offended by or anything like that, but because, you know, there's just a lot to unpack with these images and, you know, it, it brings up a lot of questions, you know, for example, um, is there shame in, you know, holding a certain role Um, You know, one of the things we had a lot of conversation about internally was, you know, one of these images actually that Jen didn't touch upon is a Latina woman who's in a hotel and the maid is a white woman who comes in and she's sort of waiting on her and the Latina woman is not paying attention to her. And one of the questions that our team posed as a result was, should, should we take this to mean that some of these jobs are shameful? And, you know, is, is there sort of a, um, socioeconomic as well as a racial commentary happening here more than anything you know these these are these are really um well done this is a very well done photo essay um and it's something that you should definitely check out we'll definitely have um some of these images from the essay on our blog as well so you can see them there what makes this photo essay successful in my opinion is the attention to detail um they're not presented to you as you know though they're dealing with these quote-unquote stereotypical issues they there's really a sense of putting yourself in the atmosphere that that was my reaction um, from the nail salon to the extreme of you know where the nail salon is bustling there's a lot of women you know both the um, the manicurists as well as the customers um, you know so there's a good you know eight plus people in that photo um, but you still feel that you are part of that environment. Uh, to the extreme, the image of the the lone girl looking at the wall of doll options that, you know, and uh, you really don't see her expression. And I think that's what's so pow- powerful about this particular image is you don't see her expression, but you see her just kind of standing there staring. And there's a sense of she's a little lost, you know, like, wait a second, there's nothing here that I'm connecting with that I see as quote unquote mine um, or my potential, um, you know, doll that I can see myself owning is what you kind of put yourself in her mindset. Um, I, so I, I do think this the success of these photos is you know, through the photography of Chris Buck, as well as the stylist. I think that there's a lot to speak to, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of times we deal with clients and, you know, recognizing that value of professional photography and professional styling, because they really, they're, you know, and I actually talked about these photos with some um, fellow stylists and, you know, what, what I thought was a really great term was there is a storytelling, a strong storytelling uh, component to these. And I think with any styling there, that's, the core and the foundation is what is the story that we're telling you know in this age of instagram um everybody's a quote-unquote stylist but you know you you know i personally have seen um you know some work that's out there that there's no you know you could put a, a composition together and you know from a designer's perspective i could you know critique composition and tangents that i'm seeing but the thing that gets me the most is where i'm like this is just things put together and there's no 
intent, there's no content, and there's no storyline. And I think these photographs, uh, you know, from a compositional standpoint, from, you know, the, um, the details and the styling and the positioning of the figures in the, each of these three very different scenarios, you are this kind of quiet observer in them, but you're still immersed and you're, you're feeling the emotion of the room, if you will. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that, you know, there there have been various um, client situations that we found ourselves in over the last, you know, decade where, you know, there is a question of why use professional photography versus crowdsourced um, content or, you know, something that I can just shoot on my iPhone. And I, I honestly believe that if you were to show this photo essay to anyone who asked that question, there would be no question. Um, I think that this this is conversation starting. This is, you know, an investment well made. This is content that you can carry you through um, a long period of time. This is campaign making content versus let's just put an image out there for the sake of capturing the moment. You know, this serves a very different purpose. I think another um, aspect that's really important about the campaign also is um, just the value of putting yourself in another person's shoes. And for me, these images were striking because I think um, sometimes you take things for granted. Like you take for granted, like even when I think about myself going into a toy store and looking for a doll, you take for granted that, at least when I was a kid, I took for granted that most of the dolls were Barbies and they were not dolls of color. I didn't have much choice, but you don't really think about it. There was no Ivy Ling. There was no... (laughs) (laughs) To circle back. To circle back to episode three. Has anyone found her yet? (laughs) (laughs) Ivy, Ivy, are you out there? (gasps) But yeah, I think when there are images that you've taken for granted, it's just, it's just, it is, it's there. And then you kind of turn it on its head and you see it from another perspective. I think it um, not only starts conversation, but I I really feel like when you put yourself in another person's shoes... It, it brings out the compassion, the empathy. And I think it's also this, we can connect this to what we just spoke about with acts. It's a direct reaction and result of the current atmosphere socially and politically that we're in today. You know, they, they are, there's no denying that this conversation is at the forefront more than it's ever been. Although I would say with women, with women's issues, um, you know, much like with racial issues in this country, I actually just heard a really interesting segment on NPR um, talking about um, racial issues in light of what's actually happened over the last 48 hours. You know, for anyone listening to this podcast, we're recording this a day out from um, LeBron James's house being vandalized in L.A. um, with um, language that was very offensive, (laughs) to say the least. Um, along with somebody coming and placing a noose in the new African-American Museum in D.C. to send a message. Um, So obviously tensions are high. Um, However, you know, what was being discussed on NPR was that, you know, people like to believe that things have changed in this country. And when you put yourself in somebody else's shoes, sometimes what you realize is that it may not really feel that way to the people that are living these lives. And in some ways, you know, I think you can certainly argue that, yes, maybe things are better in certain parts of the country in certain ways. Um, But across the board, you know, there's enough there to show that, um, 
you know, there's still change that can be made. There's still growth that can happen. So, um, you know, I, I do think I do think that these types of campaigns certainly have a place in the modern context. I think that you know one thing we talked about when we saw this was the question of you know looking at it as a woman. Do you have to position a woman, you know, over another woman to make this point? So, you know, I'm not sure how else it could have been executed, but, you know, there's an idea that, okay, well, if white women are the ones that are, um, when you look at women in the United States, the one that have the most, you know, quote-unquote social power, do we have to position them in a place of, you know, the way the campaign's set up is a, a place of um, lesser power in order to elevate another group of women above them? You know, it, it's a tough conversation. It's a really tough conversation. And I, you know, I'm always sensitive to the fact that you never want to, you know, I, I, especially with women, I, I, you know, I like to believe that we want to lift each other up. Um, and I, you know, that's something that I have over my career and just in my life in general, um, you know, starting from, you know, my, my very first internship in social justice. <laughs> um, I like to believe that, you know, that's what we're out there to do. Um, but, you know, how are you able to make these points on a campaign level without, you know, setting up one group over another? I don't know. I'm not sure. But regardless, I think that this campaign was very successful um, in creating a lot of conversation, giving us a lot to think about. Um, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it for, you know, for a long time. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you're listening. Um, and again, you can see the images on our blog. And I do just want to combine what Brian and Jen talked about for a second, because I think the effectiveness of this photo essay is the ability to force the reader to have empathy mm. for these different audiences. And I think that's made possible through the quality of the photography, the styling, the casting, the lighting, and most importantly, that story. So I think that kind of ties it all together. <laughs> When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. What will be, will be. So, you guys, I don't know if you've heard about this, but a lot of publications right now are talking about blockchain. Do you guys know about blockchain? This sounds like one of your nerdy tech things. <laughs> Please explain what is blockchain. <laughs> well, I think it's very fascinating. A lot of brands and organizations and corporations are starting to figure out how to adopt this technology into their business model. So a blockchain is a digital ledger that records transactions. So think of that ledger book that you had, you know, when you're a kid and you kept track of your, your checking account. Imagine that in the technology world. So every transaction that takes place is recorded and you can always go back to see who previously touch that transaction so it attributes who started the transaction and who received the transaction so does this only pertain to financial transactions so it originally started with the financial world with the creation of bitcoin which is built on the idea of blockchain so that's the most recognizable famous blockchain 
model that's out there. Um, other models that are out there that could be perceived as blockchain would be something like Venmo, but they're actually not built on blockchain. They should be. Uh, we should have more um, models that uh, adopt that so that we can track these transactions online. What we're starting to see, though, is that this is being applied to other industries in addition to finance. So, of course, Wall Street's very interested in it um, with trading stock, right? So how can we track those transactions so someone can't come in, hack it, change the whole model of, of those transactions? The other industry that's really looking at this is the diamond in industry and being able to track uh, diamonds that are from legitimate or conflict free regions. Mm. Uh, so that's a really great model of that. Another one is just general business and retail. And actually the leader there right now is IBM. So they're really focused on the full supply chain and, and how products are created, the manufacturing, the retailing, and then the marketing of that. All that's tied through now with blockchain, or at least they're offering that service. And that becomes really important. I mean, there are a lot of stories that have hit the news recently about, like, where goods are manufactured, how they're manufactured, you know, like, particularly, you know, there was just a factory that was investigated in China where a lot of products are manufactured that come to the U.S., notably Ivanka Trump manufactures her line there, and it was found out that they didn't really have the best um, practices in terms of, you know, ethical practices for manufacturing goods. So I think that, you know, obviously this is not something that other brands have not struggled with. Nike famously has struggled with this in the past, as well as Apple. Um, and people want to know, how are my goods being produced? They want to feel good about the way things are made and not just the things that they own. So is the function that people want to feel good about their products, is it a function of it's an easy way to keep tabs on a ledger? What, what's the, f the main function, or is it it's multiple? All about, yeah, it's all about security now. Security. You know, I think you're seeing, yeah. you know, it's been out for a while, the two-step authentication that you're seeing on, on people's email. Google is, has been really pushing that lately. This just applies now to business so that people can really track every transaction. Like a digital trail as opposed to paper trail. It reminds me of that, that um, episode in Portlandia with the chicken. They're at a restaurant <laughs> and they want to know where their chicken is from. <laughs> is this from an organic farm? Or was the chicken treated well? How was the chicken? <laughs> did, did it have a good life? What was his name? Yeah, so they're like following this trail of where they're the chicken on their plate comes from. I don't know why that just kind of reminds me of the blockchain, like the, the whole. No, but that—that's the idea, yeah. right? Like yeah. so that people people want to know. They want to know that they can track. You know, on, in a financial sense, they want to be able to track. You know, for example, did my transaction go through? So when you talk about something like a Venmo, they want to be able to see, like, okay, here's where the money started. Here's where it went to. You know, and then you know, from a products standpoint or product standpoint. You know, this example with the chicken is exactly the point, you know, because people want to know, okay, you say that it's coming from an organic, cage-free, blah, blah, blah farm. Well, I want to be able to really know that. I want to see the proof in the pudding. So I think it's it's something that we're going to see a lot more of. Um, there's not going to be this mystery there as far as, you know, you say one thing and you're actually able to pull the wool over people's eyes. I think it's going to become a lot more important and somewhat because of what Brian was touching on earlier. This millennial generation is so different in their, um, their need to know that brands are producing products for them in an ethical way or in a way that is um, in keeping with the way that they live their life. So if a brand tells you that they're environmentally minded and you find out that their practices are not quite as environmentally friendly as they say they are, you know, it is gonna start to affect 
um, the way that consumers, you know, actually go out and, and purchase products made by your brand. So here's an interesting example that Walmart actually has been testing using blockchain technology in China for quite a while in order to develop food safety and traceability protocols for their products. So th it's wild that it's Sense. Walmart that's doing it, but this is great. And it's in partnership with IBM. Mm. The other thing they're doing is they've recently submitted a patent application to track delivery drones so that they can track blockchain technology. So it's kind of like the technology observing the other platform to ensure that it's actually working. So there's a lot happening there. And again, it's the IBM that's pushing that. So Are kudos there to IBM for pushing this. And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I'm just curious, like if there are other, if there are any brands that are utilizing this type of technology in a consumer facing way right now. So like, is there an app that I can go on to track where my shoes were manufactured? Like, uh, uh, do those things exist yet? There's still a lot of confusion about what blockchain is. So I, th I think the answer is no right now, but yeah, the blueprints are there and a lot of people are excited about it. The ones that understand it. Absolutely. So it's just a matter of adoption Mm -hmm. and education. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to elevate the level of accountability, oh especially yeah. with products. because And in a way, I think it'll be a rude awakening for a lot of manufacturers and consumers. I mean, you know, hey, I got this awesome t-shirt and it was $10 at Forever 21. Oh, wait. A it was made kid. by a child. Yeah, it was made yeah. by a child in India who's getting paid two cents a day. What? This is the thing. So I was, you know, when I was listening to NPR the other day, they were talking about this as well, because what they were saying was historically the consumer has been driven by price. So point blank, they've been driven by price, even if they know that it is not a conflict free diamond. If they're getting it at a at a bargain, they may be willing to take the price over something that's more expensive because really it comes down to what they can afford um, or what the what the market is willing to bear. So it'll be interesting to see now that this is this information is front and forward if that still stays the same um, because it the consumer is change. changing yeah. and it might change consumer there. behavior. It too, may, you know, it may it might kind of maybe it wakes somebody up and oh maybe I really don't need that ten dollar t shirt maybe I'm willing to pay twenty five dollars for something that I know that you know was ethically ethically made and. Mm -hmm. Who knows? It's just an interesting question. How or if you know, if if a br if a you know, if a consumer you know, as part of their personal branding, so to speak, says it's important to me to purchase goods that are you know, for example, made in the United States. Well, you're going to start to know more and more, you know, what's actually manufactured here, or where it's manufactured, or how it's manufactured, and then you're going to have to live with your decisions because. You know, you're, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast before, with every dollar you spend, you're putting in a vote for more of whatever that thing is. Um, so, you know, you know something isn't ethically produced. You buy that thing, you're voting for more of that thing. And it may not be the implementation of blockchain in the retail world that changes consumer behavior. It could be the application of blockchain to other industries. For example, if you think about communications, we've talked a lot about fake news and all that jazz, you can you can apply blockchain to that to show attribution through the process. In the energy industry, you can see it as well. So as more people are starting to put solar panels on their home and they want to sell that energy back to consumer power, they want to know that that's actually happening and they're getting the money they deserve. So blockchain is another example of that. And then healthcare would be the third one. So being able to see 
all those touch points with a physician and what made the difference, what didn't. I mean, that's very important mm. as we start to think about different uh, testing models in healthcare as well. Absolutely. And, you know, not just testing models, but diagnosis and treatment models. Absolutely. So that, that's a bit of a news and blockchain. All right. So maybe it wasn't quite as nerdy as I thought. I was actually <laughs> interested in it by the end, by the time you got through that content. That's right. My Bigger Boat is inspired by the recent Ryan Murphy series feud, and I'm sending my bigger boat out to the ghost of Joan Crawford because <laughs> by the end of that series, um, you know, I, I, having been a former film school brat, I knew a lot about Joan Crawford um, and Betty Davis, but um, by the end of that series, I really did feel pretty bad for, for Miss Miss. Joan Crawford and I um I think that you know the series wasn't uh, was really really well done um but I think what it showed you was just how little women in Hollywood especially during the golden era were respected for their talent and that these two women um you know were were largely forgotten especially Joan um by the end of their careers and only really appreciated after their death so goes to John Crawford Bigger boat goes to you this week. Well, I think Brian and I share the same bigger boat. <laughs> I, guess we're, I guess we're not in They're the bigger in the boat, boat together. We're actually, yes, we are. Brian we're and I are in the bigger away boat together. Into the sunset. Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande. Yes. Hold on, I have to Google something. Is it okay to be in a bigger boat with Eric? <laughs> <laughs> Answer is yes, yes, yes. No, 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 no. Get out of the boat, husband. Get out of the boat. <laughs> no, I think. She definitely gets our bigger boat. Absolutely. I mean, my friend Christian actually put this best. She didn't do anything, and she is now forever linked with this horrific incident. And for her to, less than two weeks later, she puts out the message of, we will not be stopped, and we will not be afraid, and life will continue, um, because that is the goal of these awful acts of terror and, and violence and you know so for her to you know I think a lot of people in her position w would either not respond or or take months to you know face this this incident in no means am I belittling the victims or the family of the victims and, and you know and, and trying to say what Ariana Grande has experienced is in any way uh, parallel to their pain and their loss but you know I think a lot of artists in, in her position and, and I will say and even in her you know being her age I, I think they would feel very fragile and and lack of a better term afraid to return and and um you know, she's stepped up and and then brought an army of other you know performers and artists with her and the you know the stats of of the show selling out in six minutes I I think is such a statement to the solidarity and to the persistence of the human spirit and and um, and just 
the love that these art this artist is putting out there for you know because I I think she does feel a responsibility. So my bigger boat goes out to all the teachers and administrators and wonderful people who interact with children. I, I just think about today is my children's last day of school for the year. And I, I just, first of all, can't believe how quickly this school year whizzed by, but I'm just so thankful. I mean, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child, and it's so true. And I just am so thankful to all the teachers um, and just grown-ups who are really making a difference in kids' lives. And a special shout-out to the Shaker Heights School District and Fernway School and Woodbury School. Our podcast is dedicated to libraries across the nation, but particularly in Northeast Ohio, who are kicking off largely in the next week their summer reading program. So if you have kids out there, make sure to get them enrolled. Reading is fundamental. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marsha Ciccone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.